Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Acts chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now after these events... Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. 
These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theatre, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theatre. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now, we are in Acts chapter 19, and our topic today is Jesus, the King of Ultimate Fighting. Now, I see the fellas smiling. Yeah, this is one for the boys. At least the, the title is Fighting Talk. And I want to ask you a question as you're kind of getting yourself together as I'm getting myself together. And the question is, do you believe in ghosts? All right. Somebody said doppy. Do you believe in aliens? Huh? I've got some resounding yeses. Okay, all right then. Well, you know, the word for ghost is the same word for spirit. So you've got the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, right? The word alien, kind of under normal circumstances, means foreigner, right? Someone who comes from a foreign country. Well, if we're talking about aliens in another sense, like ET, extraterrestrial, Extra means not of, and terrestrial means of this world, this earth. And I'm saying an, an extraterrestrial being is a form of life 
assumed to exist outside of this earth and its atmosphere. Do you remember the story of Job? Job had encounters with aliens. If you've read the book of Job, chapter 1 and chapter 2, you know what I'm talking about. Also, Daniel had extraterrestrial experiences, and so did many others throughout the scriptures. Now, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the two main characters of Acts chapter 19 are Paul and a man called Demetrius. And so it may seem because of the frequent mention of their names. Demetrius, at a certain point, seems to be challenging Paul, taking him on if you like, in a, in a, taking him on in a spiritual heavyweight boxing match, if you like. Verse 24 says, For a man named Demetrius, who was a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together at a certain point with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, we got a problem. Says, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And kind of giving away his motive there. Verse 26, and you see and you hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, that's Turkey, Asia Minor, this Paul, his contender, right, has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. I mean, who does this guy think he is? Verse 27. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. Can we have that? And that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the whole world worships. So Demetrius, like a boxer, in a pre-fight interview, if you like, he mentions his opponent. He mentions what is at stake financially if this contest is lost. And the fact that this doesn't just have local implications, right? It's not just about Ephesus or even Asia Minor, the greater, wider area. This issue will end up impacting the world. And Paul, the contender for this heavyweight belt, if you like. He doesn't even make it into the ring, or he doesn't even seem to throw a punch, it would seem. Yet, it's rumble in the jungle, and it's not Caesar's palace, although it's Caesar's province, and it's not Kinshasa, Zaire, 1974, it's Ephesus, Turkey, first century AD. And it's like, <clears throat> Paul, fair enough. You want a few local bouts, bruv, but you're not stepping onto the international stage. And Demetrius is determined to take you down. And notice there's a big purse and lots of money is at stake here. And like Ali versus Foreman, it's Paul versus Demetrius. But then Paul helps us to understand that actually 
This is not a battle between two men. It's not just a heavyweight world championship fight. Nah, it's bigger than that. It's a battle on a cosmic scale. It's actually a boxing match on a universal scale in the largest extent between ultimate good and ultimate evil. So in the red corner, we have Artemis or Diana of the Ephesians. And in the blue corner, we have Jesus, the king, who is Lord of not just earth, he's Lord of heaven and earth. Listen to what Paul says in the letter that he wrote to this city. Where are we? If you remember from the last time, we're in Ephesus. And Paul writes to his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6. Listen to what he says. He says, finally, be strong, not in your own strength, but in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the extraterrestrial. Against the schemes of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities. We don't wrestle against individuals that we can see, but against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, this isn't a natural battle. It's a supernatural battle. This makes cage fighting look like a primary school scrap in the playground. This should make us stop in our tracks. This ought to make us quiet. It ought to cause us to be silent as we consider the weightiness of the issues at hand. Now if you think that this three-dimensional world that we live in, this is the world that we can touch, see, taste, feel, hear, if you think that this three-dimensional world is the be-all and end-all, you're greatly mistaken. And you actually potentially run the risk you and me run the risk of doing what Demetrius and his friends do here. That is Worship idols. Now we're going to come back to this. But for the moment, let's have a look at Paul's fighting strategy, which is based on a premise. Let me try and explain. Have a look at this. <clears throat> this is the basic order of the universe. It's quite simple. It's not difficult. Can you see who's running things? who's running the show ultimately, he's the biggest name on the screen, God. That is the triunity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working in contiguity, in complete and utter. It's the, syn the synchronicity of the Trinity is incredible, and we don't have time to talk about that, apart from the fact that God in three persons runs the universe. Then under God, you have, <clears throat> you have the angels. 
Now, most of us know that there are two categories of angels. you got the good angels, and then you've got the bad angels slash demons. They're the fallen angels. And they are under God. Where are they? They're under God. And then under the angels, we have mankind. Which is obviously us, and under us you got the animals. Now, see, this is always in at least Paul's mind and should be in our minds, particularly now as we go to the text. We saw before Christmas that Paul, in verse 1 through 7, was doing what? He was making disciples. Verse 1 through to verse 7. Doing exactly what Jesus commands all disciples to do, which is what? Make disciples. Question, are you a disciple? No. Not if you're not making disciples. You're a disciple if you're making disciples. Now, Pastor, he mentioned this last week. And we as a leadership here, we've outlined our vision in order to, to make that happen or to see that happen in our midst this year slash 2012. So if you want to be a faithful disciple, get connected because this is not something that you can do on your own. This is us as a church, as the community of God working together with the Spirit of God and the Word of God in order to make disciples. So if you want to be a faithful disciple, get connected. But you see, you won't. If all you want to be is a convert, that is. And by definition, a convert is not necessarily a Christian. And if you don't agree with that statement... Don't come and talk to me afterwards. I'll tell you what you do. Have a look on the website and find the nearest community group to you. Go there this week, Wednesday or Thursday. There's five, five, five of them. Go check one out this week if you've got a beef with that statement. And bring it up in that meeting as a related point with regard to this week's discussion. So we see the conversion of the twelve who become disciples, which is confirmed in verse 9. Now in verse 8 to 10, we see Paul evangelizing or preaching. And he's speaking to the Jews, as was his custom, right? We've seen that a multitude of times. And what is he preaching? He's preaching about the kingdom of God. He's, he's preaching about the fact that Jesus is the king. Because you, you don't have a kingdom unless you've got a king. But then you don't have a kingdom without servants. What kind of king are you if you ain't got no one serving you, right? Jesus is the king. And the question is, is Jesus Christ the king of the world? Now that sounds like a contradiction. I made this statement, now I'm asking a question. Is Jesus Christ the king of this world? Well, I'll answer my own question. Yes, he is. Do you have any idea what that means? Is Jesus, let me ask it this way, 
the Lord of your life. Well, since you don't want to answer, I'll answer for you. Yes, he is the Lord of your life. That is whether you recognize it or not. See, whether you recognize it or not is another matter. Yet, you and I will bow before him. Whether willingly, humbly, now. See, some of you are bowing this morning. Some were bowing at some point this week. In your own private time. Some of you didn't bow this morning. Nor this week. Some, some of us have never bowed. I mean literally. Genuflect. It just means to get on your knees. And recognize him as Lord. Recognize him as the king. Now we... You talk about kings nowadays, it really it doesn't have much of a ring to it. It doesn't really kind of make much sense to us today. You talk about the king of this country at some point, possibly. And you think, what kind, of, what kind of king is it, you know what I mean, that that doesn't act in a way that that causes individuals to want to be subservient? You know what I mean? But back in the day, when you used to talk about the, the king, you dare, not, you dare not even, not only would you dare not come into his presence apart from an attitude of subservience, you be careful how you talk about the king when you're not in his presence. Because you don't know who could be listening to what you're saying about the king. But like I said, it doesn't have that kind of ring nowadays. But if you understand that Jesus is the king, you bow. Because you understand who he is. You bow willingly. But see, if you've never bowed, at some point you will. On that day, on the day of judgment of great terror and horror and fear and dread, when then you begin to understand and appreciate who he is, you will bow. And very often I used to say, you know, if you don't bow willingly now, God will make you bow on that day. I don't really say that now. Because God's not even going to have to make anybody bow on that day. You, when, when, when you catch a glimpse of that which Moses only had a fraction when God passed by and he saw his glory. When you, you won't even be able to turn your face toward him. You will involuntarily bow. Just because of the, the brightness of his glory and his shining, it's, it's going to be overwhelming. Do it now. I'd encourage you, let's do it now. Let's bow. Because he is the king. And he said it best in, in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. <clears throat> it says, And Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. That's the good news about God. See, it's good news that we appreciate now that he's the king. That's good news. 
That's what Jesus came proclaiming, verse 15, and saying, you know what? This is it. I mean, that was that. I mean, they're talking about 2,000 years ago, and, it's, and, and, it's, and, and this is still it. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. That means it's within your reach. Submission to the king. Therefore, repent and believe in the good news. Do it now, says Jesus. So this is the message that Paul is preaching at the end of verse 8 of our text. He's preaching the kingdom of God. Can you see that? <clears throat> In verse 9 through 10, the Jews stubbornly, I don't know how, they stubbornly resist the message and even begin to speak evil of the way, which was a term that described the Christian movement, the church, the Christian ethos. Are you in the way, one would say? Are you of the way? Someone might ask. And so because these Jews, they reject the king, Paul moves out of the synagogue, because that's where he was for a few weeks, sharing with them. They don't want to hear, so Paul's like, cool. He moves out of the synagogue into a hall, a secular lecture hall, an educational facility like what, what, what we do here. We are here meeting in a school, right? Older manuscripts help us by mentioning that they met between 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. And that's when this lecture hall wasn't being used by this brother called Tyrannus. I don't know what kind of person he was to have a name like that. I'm sure his mum and dad never gave him that name. So again, <clears throat> very similar to the way that we use this, this, this building out of hours Paul was using the, the hall of Tyrannus. And it was during this time that Paul instructed the disciples that he had made in verse 1 through 7 and others. And he reasoned there and he dialogued. And the, and the impression you get from that word is that he wasn't just instructing and teaching the disciples. There were other unbelievers who would come in and challenge him and he'd respond. And two years this took place. And his classes were so successful, check it. That over this period, look at the effect in the middle of verse 10. It says, so that all the residents of Asia, not just Ephesus, you know. Asia, that's the whole of Turkey, that whole Asia Minor, modern day Turkey area. Massive area, geographically. It says, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. I mean... Can you begin to see Paul's fighting strategy? See, it's the art of fighting without fighting. Not with swords and spears. Those are physical weapons. They're useless. At least in this battle that Paul is fighting in, that you are fighting in, that I'm fighting in, them weapons are useless. Paul's using preaching and prayer. Now see, if you don't understand the king and the kingdom of God, you ain't going to understand weapons like preaching and prayer. Oh my gosh. Back in Ephesians 6, describing his offensive weapons, Paul says, 
in verse 17 through to 9, and it says, And the sword of the Spirit. Forget what you got there, you Roman centurion. Forget that. But like that, I got a weapon, and it's the Word of God. Hebrews 4 says, It's powerful. It's, it's sharp. It's, <clears throat> it's alive. Piercing, dividing, asunder, soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God leaves you. You get sliced by the word and you don't even know you get sliced. Till you walk out and you find your shirt wet. Bleeding. Hopefully, you might leave here today, no effect. The word ain't got no effect on you. You walk home tonight, you're lying in your bed and the Holy Spirit illuminates something. You're like, oh. I got, I got juked today. I never even realized it. <laughs> Hopefully. Isn't it, Panash? That's what we want, isn't it? Where was I? <laughs> the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18. Praying. Praying at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer. One of the types of prayer was mentioned this morning by Pastor E. All kind of prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Why, Paul? You make it sound like it's serious. Well, it is serious. You're in the fight of your life. Well, at least Paul is. He says, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that what? See, weapons, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the good news, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery about this kingdom and about this king. See Paul's weapons, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, <clears throat> Paul says, you know what, don't watch me. He says, for though I walk in the flesh, I'm not waging war according to the flesh. You might see me walking up and down in this three-dimensional environment. But I don't fight on that basis. He says, look, you see me? He says, like the matrix. Like inception. Man's is fighting on different levels. Verse 4, for the weapons... Of our warfare. You hear that? It's fighting talk. The weapons of... More, more, more time people look at you. You're a Christian. Like Christians are weak. Man don't understand the levels. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. And arguments, we talked about... That in some way last week when we talked about the fact that we have to renew what? Our minds. See? Because he talks about every lofty what? Opinion. These are thoughts raised against the knowledge of God. And take every what? Thought captive. You see where the battle is? See? The battle is in the mind and... It's in the realm of the spirit, and you better be drawing for the right weapons. Otherwise, you 
are gonna get marked. You hear people use that word, right? Come from the word mercenary. A lot of the time we use words we don't even know where they come from. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you G'd him up. Where's that come from? Ah, see? Back in the day, back in my day, you grassed him up. That's where it come from. I don't know where the grass comes from, but... <laughs> Keep losing my train of thought. What was I saying? G'd him up. What did I say before G'd him up? Sorry? Marked. You better... G Thank you. Thank, uh, Frank, uh, thank you, Lord. They're, they're listening. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Someone's listening. Wow. You don't know how encouraging that is. Take every thought captive and learn to use the weapons. You see why the word of God is so vital? So Paul takes time, doesn't he? In the lecture hall of Tyrannus. He takes time to teach. He takes time to teach others about this warfare. He takes time to teach others about this kingdom and this king. He takes time to teach others how to use the weapons. And the weapons are, are words and prayer. And Paul's here teaching the Bible. It's a, good environment. it's a good environment to be in, having the Bible taught. And see, what happens here is God now authenticates Paul's teaching. God authenticates Paul's teaching, how? By miraculous supernatural phenomena. We have to get this clear. Now, who's doing the miracles? Well, they're being done by the hands of Paul. But who's doing the miracles? Verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. And not just miracles, as if that wouldn't be enough. It says that God did extraordinary miracles. Verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched Paul's skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them. And the evil spirits, the extra extraterrestrials, came out of them. Now when reading the book of Acts, or a book like Acts, you have to remember an Acts is narrative. Narrative, like Genesis, is narrative. It's important to remember that parts of Acts are descriptive, not prescriptive. Descriptive is, is, is something that's being described. Prescriptive is telling you what you need to do. You know what I'm saying? And you have to be able to understand the difference. And, and you see, what we read here is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. The author Luke is just writing what he sees. He's describing something. He's not prescribing something. And just because we see this happening in Paul's ministry, that sees extraordinary miracles, because we see them happening in Paul's ministry then, doesn't mean that it will happen in our ministry now. It doesn't mean that it can't happen, but it doesn't mean that it must happen. It's descriptive. You see, what God was doing here was God was authenticating his apostle, but particularly his message. 
which are going to become scripture. So it needs authenticating. So don't send your hard-earned cash to someone on TV who tells you to touch the screen. Or someone who tells you to purchase a $100 prayer cloth. Or someone who says, send in your money and I will send you scented frankincense oil extracted from crushed olives from Mount Olivet in Jerusalem. Don't send them your money. It's a hype. And worse than that, they are doing the same thing that Demetrius and his business associates are doing. Worshipping idols and making money in the process. We will see this in a moment. But now look. Look as the three-dimensional world collides with the multi-dimensional supernatural world. Like Daniel. Notice the references to ghosts, to spirits, to fallen angels, to demons. Notice the references to extraterrestrials. Verse 13. Wow, we've got to move. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. Saying, I adjure you in the name in the name of Jesus, whom Paul proclaims, verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva. Someone said it sounds like some rock band. Seven sons of Sceva. They were doing this. But the extraterrestrial answered them. <laughs> and, the, and, and the alien says, the king of the universe Jesus, I know, we're submitted to him, we're under his authority. Remember when, remember when Jesus was going to cast out that demon, they were like, Lord, Lord, like easy. Lord, you're going to cast us out, you're going to send us to the bottomless pit, please. Remember that. Why? Because they're under his authority. They'd be like, yeah, we know him. Everybody knows him. If you don't know him, you ain't nobody. We know Jesus. And, and see that brother Paul? God's humble servant. He got swagger in the spirit. We know him. But it's like we recognize him, but Bridget. They'll be like... Jesus we know, and yeah, Paul, heavyweight, we know, but who are you, black? <laughs> they be like, it's like, and like, circling like lions around their prey. Like, what? We... Verse 16, and the man in whom was the extraterrestrial leaped on them, mastered all of them, plural, and it's him one, singular, mastered them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. See, who is winning the ultimate fight? See, and Paul isn't even in situ. Paul is not even in the vicinity. But notice, his name carries weight. 
It'd be like me in the playground at school. And someone tries to bully me every day, pushing me and prodding me and bullying me. You're like, I'm fed up at this now. And I'm like, you know what? You're frustrating me. So hear what? Try touch me again. Try touch me again and I will draw for my big brother. What? I'm fed up. You see, when you see me in the corridor, don't even look in my direction. Because I will get my big brother onto you. Don't even look at me. Right? When I, when I walk past, just put your head up against the, against the wall. Don't look at me. I'm tired of you, but you're going to try and bully me. Now check it. My brother is not even there. But you know what? His name carries weight. And it's because Paul is a world-class fighter, but more importantly, more importantly, more importantly, Paul has been trained by the best. And it's not Paul's name that inflicts terror in the heart of his spiritual opponents. And it's not Chuck Smith. And it's not John MacArthur's name or John Piper's name, or Mark Driscoll's name, or Whitfield, or Finney, or Luther, or Calvin. These are great men, but it's not in their name. It's in the name that's above every name, that at this name, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, he's king, he's sovereign, and he's running the universe. Amen. That, that statement, not me, the statement deserves a round of applause. Because it talks about Jesus. His name. See, it's in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, that we have the victory. See, who's winning on points? At this point, the king, the heavyweight champion of the universe. I was going to put up some pictures, but it would detract from his glory. Okay, you look at a man, you'd be like, yeah, but nah. The heavyweight champion of the Jesus, he's able to defend his own name, unlike what we're going to see in a minute. Verse 17, and, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And, the, and check it. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And look at the result, verse 18. Also many of those who are now believers came. Now you know that something's happening. Because they came confessing and divulging their practices. I mean, everyone is shook. It's like. It's like, Jesus, it's a straight Jesus, fam. You get me? What? You never heard what happened? Listen. Some demon brother jumped on some brothers last week. Bang them up. <laughs> some, ultimate, some ultimate fighter, Bruce Lee, Jet Lee, meets the exorcist. Bruv. That drill that I got in my pocket dash for that bro 
Man's, man's shot in and that. Man's is going church blood. See, that's the effect that this is beginning to have. People don't, people don't stop smoking drugs. People don't stop shotting drugs. I know a brother that was making, what did he say he was making? He was making in excess of a thousand pound a week. Not a month, <laughs> not a year. A thousand pound a week selling drugs. And Jesus, he, he recognized that Jesus was king, not money. That is power. That is power. Verse 19, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they, con and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a whole heap of money. Now when people start burning items of value on this level, you got revival. What would happen if the church worldwide was so moved by God to burn all of the ungodly material that we have. I mean, I got a feeling that MTV would, would sit up and take note if every Christian who, who had Sky just relinquished their subscription to MTV. Standard. Imagine. I'm talking about world. If we done it as a church, probably they wouldn't notice. <laughs> but hey, it's got to start somewhere. You know what I mean? It's got to start somewhere. What would happen if all, all of the stuff that we purchase, and you know, I say we, because I'm, I'm just as bad as you lot. You know what I mean? But what would happen? And the fact that they did it was amazing, Right? This is big. But what is more significant, what is more significant than the fact that they did it was what moved them to do it. And it was recognition of the fact that Jesus is king. See, that is what changed them, and that's what's going to change us. Verse 20. So the word of the Lord, and this is one of them big verses in Acts. So the word of the Lord continued and it continued to increase and prevail mightily Paul at this point he doesn't set up permanent camp which is what I suspect I would be tempted to do I mean what's what's going on right now in Ephesus mm -mm. he plants churches which we will see in the next chapter and he sets his sights it's like Paul just took out Who's a common boxer nowadays? Because you've got to try and do this for the young people still. Who? David Hay. Whoever he is. Oh, is that the brother with the locks? He just took out David Hay. But, Dave, but, but Paul's not like, yeah, this is me. Paul's got his eyes, he's got his sights set on Goliath. Paul wants Rome. Ephesus is a major city. It's the fourth largest city in the in the Roman Empire. But Rome is number one. Like New York, like London, like Tokyo. We see that at the end of verse 21. 
That's what Paul wants. He wants Rome. Paul's an animal. Understandably, in response to this, verse 23, there's drama. You think, you think, that, you think E.T., you think the extraterrestrials, you think the, 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 the unholy ghosts, the demon spirits, you think they're happy about this? I don't think so. I don't think so. But check it. You see what happens when God's people begin to fight the good fight. Verse 23. About that time, <laughs> there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. That's an understatement. <laughs> Ain't got time. And who is leading the disturbance? Our friend that I introduced earlier, Demetrius, who is actually under the influence See, Paul is under the influence of his king. Demetrius is under the influence of his king. And it's not Jesus. It's money or the God who presides over money. Behind which, if you like, money is this e evil influence in spirit. And check it. He's very shrewd. Demetrius is a real spin doctor. So he takes on Paul in a very stealthy style of combat by gathering a hearing in verse 25 saying men watch what is slick men you know this is this is them in a in a closed environment men you know the deal you know that from this business we get our wealth wealth what we're going to see is Demetrius identified two problematic areas of concern that this gospel of Paul poses as a threat. And the first threat is their profit, their wealth. That is, you see, they're making silver shrines, little models of the goddess Artemis, the goddess Diana. Because they were a major city, they had a large number of visitors who would purchase these trinkets as mementos as they passed through the city. And they were making a killing. It's a major city. Over a quarter of a million people living in this ancient city. That's a whole heap of people for back then. Now, he knows, that is Demetrius, he knows that he cannot justify a riot on that basis. He can say that to his associates around the table as they're smoking cigars and drinking Hennessy. He can say that to them in there. So what he has to do is he has to add this second issue. And this second issue is the prestige of the city. Verse 26. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. See, now time is against me. Can you see that there is a God behind the God? Verse 27, and there is, and he says, then there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worships. I mean, I'm not sure how great this goddess actually is if she can be dethroned by a simple message from a peasant preacher. Anyway, the reputation of the city 
is at stake. They now have a justified reason for a riot. And Demetrius's plan works. Look at verse 28. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, verse 29. So the city, so now they spill out, right? So the city is now filled with confusion as this begins to get out. And they rush together in the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus. These are Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, what? The disciples wouldn't let him go in. This is the second time Paul ain't even in the vicinity, if you like. The art of fighting without fighting. So for the second time, we see that Jesus, the real God, is able to fight his own battles. Verse 31, and even some of the Asiarchs, that's some of the chief leaders in Asia, Paul's friends, right? They sent to him and were urging him, Paul, don't venture into the ring. Don't enter, remember, don't enter into the theater. Don't get in the ring with these guys, Paul, they say. Verse 32, now some cried out one thing. This is the, the crowd now. Some another, <laughs> for the assembly was in confusion. It kind of reminds me about all those, the kids that have been going to kind of protest about the hike in university fees. I don't know if you've seen some of the footage. and Some of, the, some of them don't even know why they're there. <laughs> some of them ain't never going to go uni. You know what I mean? It's just an opportunity to riot. You know what I mean? And cause trouble. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that they shouldn't protest and so on, but you get my point, right? The assembly's in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You think... Two hours. I mean, the only thing that comes close to that, in my opinion, this, I mean, this is worship. They're worshipping in a stadium. It reminds me of a football match. You ever seen them at a football match? With their hands raised, singing songs to their God. Now, I'm a man, I like football, but I don't take it that far. Raise, singing songs together in unity. Hugging up people that they don't know. Take, look, paying their tithes on a weekly basis. It's called a season ticket. <laughs> Don't tell me that that's not worship. I, thank you. Thank you, Maurice. I do worship. And that translates in many different ways. Worship. That's what's going on. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours. Now, in steps the referee into this boxing match. Verse 35, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis? I mean, he's trying to prop up their quote-unquote glory. And of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Apparently, there was a meteor that had fallen from space, and it had a quote-unquote human appearance. 
which they erected in the temple of Artemis. Remember I showed you a picture of the temple of Artemis before. See, the temple of Artemis is four times the size of the Parthenon. This is, or this was, one of the seven wonders of the world. This happens, and this whole, this meteor falling down and that, whoa, this, the, the whole um, superstition surrounding it. This happens all the time in Roman Catholic circles where moldy bread has, I don't know, a face or a pattern on it. They, it, look, it looks like Jesus. <laughs> or statues that appear to shed tears. Same, this is the, the same superstitious sort of thing is going on. You feeling me, bro? The clerk goes on, the clerk, the, the referee, if you like, seeing then that these things cannot be denied. What, them, super, them superstitions? Okay, whatever. Since they can't be denied, evident facts, right? You ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess, if, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another, in it, decently. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly, for we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when they had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now... Can you see how there was an attempt not only... You might read that and think, okay, well, that's kind of a bit of an anticlimax. Can you see that there was an attempt not only to take the lives of the disciples, which is a big thing, but also to stamp out the furtherance of the gospel? Do you understand what was happening and what got quenched, what got quelled here? See? But wonderfully, God protects his messengers and sometimes, ultimately all the time. I don't mean that you might not lose your life. But God protects his messengers here and so doing sustains the declaration of his word. Paul's heading for Rome and nothing ain't going to... It's like Jesus making a beeline for Jerusalem... And I would argue that the attempt to thwart God's purpose was not just natural. It's not just three-dimensional. It's not just men fighting against men, but it's much more cosmic. It involved the influence of a higher spiritual enemy, one who continues to this day to control the lives of humans. We are not submitted let me say it like this these influences are out to control like puppets us as human beings human beings who don't submit to the king don't think that well I can take her I can leave Jesus don't think you can do that and then you're your own ruler you're your own king you're not like Jesus said to the Pharisees, we were talking about this in community group last Thursday. Like Jesus and the Pharisees, they thought that they were repping God. Until Jesus said, actually, um, no, your father is the devil. 
See, if God is not controlling your life, who is? One who continues to this day, that is the evil one, to control the lives of humans who are not submitted to the real king, but worshipping other gods who are not gods. Worshipping idols like money and status and career or a partner or property or pleasure. You know, two people, two parents, a couple weeks ago, went to court and went to prison because they neglected their child playing computer games. And you don't even hear the half of it. The computer game they were playing, they were looking after a child in the game. And their 18-month-old daughter died of starvation because they were spending up to 20 hours a day playing video games. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that in the last days, people will be lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. That is an idol. See, for Demetrius, it was profit and prestige. Are these things idols in your life? And if so, how do they affect you? Are you controlling them or are they controlling you? And who is actually behind it all pulling the strings? Are you submitted to the king? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your consistent and often encouragement. But we also thank you that as a good father, I mean, we're calling you father. As a good father, sometimes you have stern words for us. You have words of warning. And you're a good dad. And because Jesus is our king, he's your king, Psalm 2. He's the king that you've set up to rule and to reign. You've given him all power and authority. Help us to submit to him. Help us to make him Lord of our, not just Jesus is my savior, but then I live like the devil. No, Jesus is my savior. I cannot, I cannot live any other way other than to submit to him as my Lord because of how good he's been to me. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand and recognize just the glory of your kingdom, the glory of your person, and that all other false idols and false gods would just pale into insignificance. And Father, as we understand and appreciate who you are, that is exactly what will happen, and it needs to happen. Please help us, Lord. We're bound up by idols in our lives. And Father, we're being controlled by them in some way, shape, or form. Set us free. Set us free, I pray, from these things that bind, these things that hinder us, Lord God. And that's going to happen as we use the weapons that you've given us to cut those strings. Draw for the word of God and cut those strings that the, 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 the extraterrestrial demon powers that rule the principalities of the air are trying to control us with. Help us to use your word, Lord, and free our minds, Lord. Help them to be renewed.
in order that we may be able, be able to appreciate what is the good and the perfect and the acceptable will of God, that we might give ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you, which is only reasonable. Help us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.